me a shout if you were. A few of you. Some of you, if you weren't here, you didn't get to see the kickoff, or well, I should say we're wrapping up the Be the Church series, but I'm wrapping it up with um, a new um, process, if you will. Our next steps is very important, but what I had prayed about was, God, while we communicate next steps all the time, start, connect, serve, give, start. You, every person needs a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, amen? Connect. We're not called to do it alone. We need to connect to one another. We need to learn from one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to care for one another, amen? And so we do that in, in mentoring relationships, in life groups, in learning groups, and of course in services like these. Our J-12, or I always call it J-12, they have to correct me all the time. The preteens, our tweeners, are back in their room and, and they're encouraging one another and and being taught and learning, our children in the children's wing of all ages are being poured into and taught. It's like, well, the infants aren't really being taught. Oh, yeah, when they're being snuggled and loved on and prayed over, how many can say that's how you start with the babies? Amen? Show them love at every turn. So in, in, in that, then coming to the place of once you have a relationship with Jesus and you, you're connected and you're growing in the things of Christ, that, you know, you find out what your giftings are. You use your giftings to serve others, make a difference in other people's lives, amen? And then finally, the give, to give. One of those words that when you say it, people kind of cringe like he's talking about money. No, I'm not just talking about your money. I am talking about your money. I want you to know. Jesus, one-third of what he talked about was your possessions and your money. Why did he do that? He said you couldn't serve God and mammon. He understood the propensity for money to arrest our attention and our trust and therefore challenged it often so that we knew clearly. So that uh, as the Bible teaches, all who heard his teaching knows clearly that our heart can be grabbed by the things that we possess or, that po or can I flip it around, that possess us. And he wants us to possess it to be blessed, but to use that to be a blessing to others. Can you say amen? That's of your time, your talent, and your treasure. Let me say that is the greatest wealth that you're going to have, those three categories. And last week I talked about the Good Samaritan and how, you know, uh, Jesus is asked, you know, who, well, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, right? The rich, uh, the rich young man comes to him and, and Jesus basically, he says to Jesus, how do I inherit the kingdom of heaven? How do I inherit, you know, uh, everlasting life is what he was asking. And Jesus says, you know, the commandments, you know, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, you know, to honor your mother and father. And so he's kind of going, he goes, I've done all of these since I was a child, since I was young. And then Jesus, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and come follow me. And it says that the rich young man, he went away sorrowful. He gave up that kind of inheritance, you know, heavenly riches for his earthly riches. Can you see that? Jesus taught that as an example for all of us to see that, you know, that the way that we um, respond with our wealth, our giving, if you, if you will, um, communicates where our trust lies.
My time is wealth. How many of you know that your time, you go to work, right? That's how you even earn a living is you use your time. You spend your time doing things to further yourself. Agreed? By the way, the talents that you have, you spent your time to develop your talents. Amen? And so time was the first thing that you spent. The only way you get to talent and to, you know, uh, treasure is with time. And time is the only thing you can't get back. Come on now. Right? Uh, going forward into your future, you can't, you can't like, I will ha- I'm going to have a longer life than what I thought I was. It's not like I can go, uh, let me add 100 years on the backside of 51. Y'all hearing me here? I don't want to live to 151, I got to tell you. I got less time to live than I have had. I, got, I have less time now to be effective with my talents and with my treasure than I have had prior to the moment in time I'm in. And so when we use those next steps, it's to emphasize, uh, if you will, to start that relationship with Jesus, to learn and discover the giftings that he has given you so that you can serve others, and then and to take and give back, make a difference in people's lives, amen? But in all of that, communicating that on a regular basis, I've found that Man, you know, while we communicate that, we don't do well at helping people to move forward in that as a church body. And so I began to pray. This is part of what I shared last week. God, in all my time in ministry, if I've had a frustration, it's been good people who love you. Um, gatherings where we do grow and we learn in Christ, but yet we, we aren't reaching our full potential to make an impact on our world. How do I know that? I have conversations with many of you from time to time. Can I get an amen? And in that, what I would say is that if I ask you the question right now, and don't answer out loud, but I'm going to say, when's the last time you led somebody to Christ? And who are you spending time with now to help grow in Christ? And then are you helping them to go and reach someone for Christ. See, that's multiplication, right? That's, that's watching uh, the sheep. We're all the sheep of his fold. And when we share our faith, it should cause the multiplication of other followers of Christ. Amen? Now, I'll say this. It's not something that's, um, that just applies to our church. It's the church in America as a whole. We are a post-Christian society. post as a whole, most people do not believe in Christ. Now, as a whole, most will say they believe in God, but if you started to ask them some questions, guess what you would find out? They don't believe in the God of the Bible. Are, are you all with me right now? You start to ask them about the virgin birth, and they go, oh, well, I don't believe that happened. That was kind of, you know, more of a, you know, figurative story. Well, you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, and you'll get people who say they believe in God that's like, well... I think those were stories that were meant to encourage us to want to draw near to God. People have literally, and this is what the Bible says, that in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. They'll give uh, way to uh, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more you'll see mankind try to, again, shape God 
into their image rather than being shaped into his image. They explain that. We are being changed and transformed into the likeness and image of Jesus Christ, God's son, is what the Bible says. Last week I shared that we're not to be conformed to the world, but we're meant to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. How do we do that? By the washing of the water of the word. You know, this last week I uh, had a couple of people, two, two different people, because their, their kids are, when I say kids, they're not kids, they're young people are getting uh, involved in the church more and serving in the church, and they, there's a dedication in them to the Lord and the house of the Lord and the work of the Lord. And, and here comes the question. It's like, well, you're not, a cult, you're not in a cult, are you? How many of you, by show of hand, when you first came to Christ and your whole life is changing, you're passionate for God, had somebody that knew you before you came to Christ, before you were born again, and before you were translated out of darkness and into his marvelous light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, people who knew you before that, that when you got saved and your life was changed, how many of you had them say, like, are you in a cult? Nobody? Give me an amen if that ever happened to you. Quite a few of you. I had somebody say to me one time at the beginning of all of it, <laughs> you've been brainwashed. I'm like, no, I haven't. No, I haven't. I, I just, I love God and I want to serve God. You know, the more I read the Bible and when I came across the washing of the water of, word, of the word, and I came across, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I understand it's the washing of the water of the word that cleanses my mind and makes me more like Christ, makes me think more like God. Then what happened was is I realized that I got my brain washed. Is that a bad thing? To have the ways of the world washed out of your brain by the word of God to be replaced. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. They're higher than ours. And when we get in the word of God and we begin to renew ourselves that way and we begin to think the way that God thinks, we, we are walking on this journey of maturity. Last week I talked about the roadmap of, of Christian maturity is this process where I believe that every believer needs to know and ask themselves the question, where am I at in this journey? Where am I at on the road to Christian maturity in my own life? Because how are you going to apply, if you will, those steps that we talk about all the time? How are you going to apply that if you don't know how to ask yourself the question? And I'll say this, you don't know how to make the decision to mature by receiving what God has provided. That he has provided what you need so that you can be born again and so that you can grow in your Christian life. I shared with you, if you go to that next one, I shared with you about the uh, spiritually undecided. The spiritually undecided. That the spiritually undecided is a person who God loves, but they don't yet understand his love for them. How do I know that? Because, again, I said that your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Every person on the face of the planet, it's like, no, when you, when you uh, confess Christ, then your name is written in the book. I beg to differ. If you go to the book of Revelation, you'll find out that only, only the Lamb, it's who's worthy to open the Lamb's Book of Life, and it says the Lamb. So the Lamb comes forth. Somebody tell me who the Lamb is. Jesus, right? And he's the only one worthy to open it and say, these are mine. 
but there's a passage that talks about your name being blotted out. I believe that God made provision for everyone of God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Well, pastor, that means their name's not in there. 17, we don't quote 17 so well. He didn't come to condemn the world because you're already condemned by the word, by the Bible, by the scriptures, but came to save. He didn't come to condemn, he came to save. While we were yet still sinners, God gave his own son to die for us, the scripture says. And if God gave his son to die for us while we were yet still sinners, then I want to ask you this question. Did God say, not this one, but this one, not this one, but this one, not this one, but this one? No, God said the whole world. I give my son for the whole world. Now you decide. I've provided. Now you decide whether or not you'll receive what I've provided. And as a result, yes, then there's conception of faith inside of us. I talked about that spark of life that comes as a result of the spirit coming inside of us and regenerating us. The power of the spirit, like electricity running through these lights right now. When that power comes in, light comes in, darkness flees, and you are translated. Say translated. There's this immediate thing that takes place. You're born again, and you come back to life. Amen? Now, I want to preach last week's message over again. I want to just, for those that weren't here, kind of give you a little bit of a taste of it. You can go back on our, our Facebook page. And, hey, make sure you like some of that because there's this organic share from you to your friends that they might watch something and it have an impact on their life. But then when that happens, that all of a sudden we become a Christ follower as a result of his grace in our life, his provision, and we move by our decision to be a Christ follower. He didn't make us. We chose to follow Christ. And that's a person who understands God's love for them and has decided to love God back. We love him because he first loved us. A dedicated disciple, we take that step, we evaluate. I'm a Christ follower, but, but am I a disciplined one? Am I a disciple? Am I choosing to follow Christ and all that he did? Am I picking up my cross and am I following him? Prime example, is there anybody in your life that you're struggling to forgive? If you hold on to offense and hurt and you hold them captive to their faults, then what happens is, is while you chose to be a Christ follow, follower, you're not picking up your cross and following him, denying yourself, by the way. Being able to lay those things down that fall within your own self-interest for the sake of someone else. As I said, a dedicated disciple, a person that wants to grow in their understanding of God's word and live according to his teachings. I want to live according to God's teachings. I don't want to just talk about them. I want to live them out. Amen. The Bible says don't just be a hearer, but be a doer of the word. That leads us to become a servant, a person who has reached a point of sharing with others, helping to meet their needs. Someone's met mine. I want to turn and help somebody else and meet their needs. And then the servant leader, becoming a servant leader, a person who serves faithfully and takes responsibility to lead volunteer teams. The reason I say that is because whatever capacity that is, be it a life group, be it a children's area, be it youth areas, be it worship, be it hospitality, you know, uh, welcoming people coming into the doors, whether it be media, let me tell you the hardest job in the room is right, just take a look back there right now at all those people working so hard. 
Do you know that most Sundays they sacrifice their ability to just hear and draw it in because they're having to make sure they're doing what needs to be done so it ministers to you. The same with the worship time, moving slides. If you're back there, you know, and you're running the slides, guess what you don't have an opportunity to do? You can't just kind of let go and press in. Why? Because you've got to advance the slide. Now, I will tell you, sometimes they get back in and they're like, oh, this is so good. Oh, whoa, i got to move the slide. You are out here like, what's the matter with those people back there not moving the slide? You know what's the matter with them? They just want to worship God too, you you know. Got to have some grace for them when those things happen, amen. They can get caught up in what's going on and sense the Holy Spirit and be captivated by what's happening just as much as you, you know. Now, just so you know, I'm down on the front row going, move the slide, move the slide. (laughs) Because I want everyone to experience God in the best way possible. And he's not the one that has a problem showing himself strong. Hmm. We are the ones that get in the way. And some of this modern stuff we have that people have grown to expect, amen, and that we strive to do an excellent job with, sometimes I wish I could just chuck it all and just come together as a body of believers and kind of have a conversation. Is that going to happen? No. <laughs> Because half of you would be like, oh, man, that church, they, they, don't, you know, they don't have the words up on the screen during worship. They don't have the scriptures up. How many of you got your Bibles with you today? Give me an amen. Okay, awesome. Some of you are like, yep, right on my phone. <laughs> uh, thank God for technology. If you forgot your Bible, you know, people forget their phones a whole lot less than they forgot their Bibles back in the day. You know what I'm saying? All right, servant leader, you're, you're going to lead other teams because it takes teams. And how do I know that? the first thing that Jesus did he didn't come to be served but he came to serve and the first thing he did when he's stepping on the scene to go and serve others is he picked a team amen and he led a team and he taught them how to right send them out two by two he taught them how to lead teams of those who would volunteer to serve the purpose of the kingdom of God can I get an amen in the house of the Lord and then finally the disciple maker the disciple maker person dedicated to sound doctrine, equipped to teach others in biblical foundations as they follow Christ. And what do I mean by that? You got to have some depth of theology when it comes to reproducing. Look, people can be in love with the Lord and they can, you know, they love Jesus and they can serve in areas and so on. But all of a sudden you hear them start to teach about the things of God and you're like, whoa, that's squirrely. That's kind of a weird doctrine. It's like, well, you know, I I would have people that would actually say things like, well, I don't know if the virgin birth really happened. I'm like, yeah, you're not teaching in our church. If the virgin birth didn't happen, then Jesus isn't the son of God. There's no deity in him. Come on. The Bible teaches that he was the son of God, but he was the son of man. He was all, he was all God and all man. And because of that, God himself comes and basically takes the sins of the world upon himself perfect tempted in every way we are in that son of man category but without sin in that god kind of category amen he was able to put sin right down to to shut sin down that when we follow him that's even in baptism the bible says for the remission of sins that his work within us begins to shut sin down at work in our mortal flesh, in our mortal bodies. Paul the Apostle was the one that said, I 
long to present you. On that day, I long to present you blameless. Say blameless. How many of you feel blameless in your life? (laughs) But I want you to know the grace of God should usher your mind and your heart to a place of you are blameless as long as you stay on the journey. Do not turn back, right? Don't look to the left, don't look to the right, but press toward the mark of the high call of Jesus Christ in your life. Paul the Apostle said it, not that I obtained, but this one thing I do, I press toward the mark of the high call of Jesus Christ in my life. I challenge you. I challenge you to do those things. Now on this, there are going to be classes that are going to come for each of these areas to do some, some equipping and some training for our, uh, for our members so that they know, I'm spiritually decided. How many of you spiritually decided today? Can you all talk? If you talk to me, I will talk a whole lot better. I like a conversation a whole lot more, a dialogue, you know, not the monologue. I really enjoy the dialogue. I know I'm doing most of the talking, but if what I'm saying is true, the Bible says, let the learned in the house say, all right, that's the way you say amen. And it's a whole lot better for those watching online. We welcome them and God bless you. And I hope this uh, challenges you as well. But it's a whole lot better for them too, not to hear me ask for an amen all the time. It's like, well, then just preach, pastor. No, no. The body needs to interact. We're a body. Imagine, you know, my mouth just sitting over on the side of the platform talking to you and the rest of my body standing here. How many would be like, yeah, I'm out of here. That's kind of weird. The body needs to interact, amen? So interact with me today. So what I want to do on this roadmap is I want to then insert... As you can see it, when you go to the left of spiritually undecided when you, and then fill every gap, I'm going to give you seven Greek words that talks about maturing, growing up. Seven Greek words that's going to teach you about growing up. Our potential to grow, our potential to grow is directly tied to God's grace and provision but activated by our decision. It's activated by the decision we make to receive By God's grace, his provision to first be born again. So, let me give you the first Greek words. Seven Greek words that show us how we mature. The first one I talked about a little bit last week, and it's called brephos. Say brephos. An unborn child, an embryo, a fetus, a newborn child, an infant, and a babe. And I told you last week that, and and I must... Give a disclosure, you guys got to watch Ferris Cox on the screen for a couple weeks. I know it's not the best. Florida had to watch me on the screen this morning for last week's message. But here's the deal. I wanted you to get a taste of of his teaching because he will be here live with you. And I got to say the things I'm about to share, I learned from that man. And it's one of the most powerful teachings I ever received in my life to understand what it is to grow up. But brephos, both inside and outside the womb. That it's, it's, it's this, God gave his son while we're yet still sinners, and he's thinking about you, giving his son, the provision is there so that you can be born again. That spark of life can come, but it's activated by your faith. It's activated by your decision to accept what Christ has done on the cross. You cannot do that without faith. But yet the Bible teaches us that God has given every man the measure of faith. Did you know that? No one is without the ability to believe what God teaches us in his word. 
But from that point, when God gives us that measure, we grow in our faith and can build our faith and can mature in our faith. Can you say amen? So inside and outside the womb, look at what Luke 1.41 says. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped. This is John the Baptist. Leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She was filled with the Holy Spirit the moment she heard Mary come into the, to the house and, and greet her. That, that, that John the Baptist in the womb, right? She was filled with the Holy Spirit and John the Baptist leaped. Come on now. How many moms had a baby in your womb and they did a little jumping around in there, especially after you ate some Mexican food? Huh? My wife, Angie, buddy, she would eat Mexican food, something spicy, and that baby would be in there like whew, getting all active, you know? But, but Mary comes in there and boom, the baby leaps in the womb. And I want to say that if you read your Bible, you find out John the Baptist was the forerunner. He was the one that pr- would proclaim the Messiah. And you, you just got to look at the power of that, that from the womb he was proclaiming the Messiah's in the room. Let me say it again. Maybe you didn't get it. From the womb he was proclaiming that the Messiah was in the room. The Messiah entered the room and the forerunner knew it. And his mama was filled with the Holy Spirit as a result. Now understand that when I'm saying that, it's because right there where it says the babe leaped in her womb, the babe, that, that unborn child, right, Brephos, leaped in the womb. And then we go to 1 Peter 2.2, as newborn babes, this is outside the womb, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That you may mature, that you may grow in your maturity thereby as you desire the sincere milk of the word. That you'll grow in the things of God, in your maturity in Christ. 2 Timothy 3.15, and that from childhood, from childhood. So this is a little, this is, there's, there's a uh, in the womb, outside the womb, and then a little, just a little bit bigger. We, back here in the daycare we call them, I think it's uh, uh, Todd's. They kind of get out of the infant room and they are in the Todd room. There's a whole lot of activity going on when you get that age. Listen to this from 2 Timothy 3.15. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now think about that. Which is able to make you wise for salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Wait a minute, so you've known the Holy Scriptures, but see, it's the Holy Scriptures that'll make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. So you got to understand, this is Paul speaking to Timothy. In, in, in Timothy, even he would talk about, I remember the sincerity of your tears. That when Timothy was moved on by the Holy Spirit, uh, his desire, his genuineness of faith in Christ, he had this longing to follow God and such sincerity to, to be pure from the things of the world, that Paul's acknowledging that. He was taught those scriptures, by the way, by his grandmother and his mother. His father wasn't in his life. The next word is napios, say napios. An immature Christian, babe, infant, little child, a minor not of age, childish, untaught, unskilled, simple-minded. <laughs> How many of you ever said that to your kids when they were doing stupid stuff? 
1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. When I became mature, I put away childish things. And I want to say I have pastored for 22 years. This uh, June 5th was 22 years I, Angie and I have been here. And I can say over the course of that time, I've seen mature teenagers, even children in a sense, spiritually speaking, that, that acted in the love of Christ better than I've seen some old folks act in the love of Christ. You all hearing me? I've seen maturity out of young people and immaturity out of old people. Now, obviously, I've seen the reverse of that for those who have applied the scriptures and lived for God. But I want you to know your physical age has nothing to do with your Christian maturity. Your submission to God has everything to do. Submission to his word, to follow his word, has everything to do with your Christian maturity. Listen to Galatians 4.1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. Paul the Apostle saying this uh, basically comes down to say that when, when you're a child in a house, that you differ with nothing. You're not different from the slave in a house. Though you're Lord of all, in other words, you have an inheritance, right? When you're in a family, right, if a household has servants, it's very different than the children. But when they're children, they don't differ much from the servant in the house because why? They're not mature enough. But though they're Lord of all, they have an inheritance awaiting them. So when we're growing up in the things of Christ, we have a great inheritance, but we don't differ much from a servant, come on, until we grow up. When we're willing to grow up, what happens is we start to experience the inheritance that God has for us. Understand, I'm not talking about just prosperity of stuff. I'm talking about a prosperity of thought. The prosperity, you think about the wisdom that heaven has that, that God wants you to inherit as his children. Think about the love, the measure of God's love. How much love does he want to, to pour out in your life if you're willing to grow up in love like he loves? Come on now. You know, what you sow, you reap. And so when we start to understand the scriptures from that perspective that, you know, I got to grow up and I got to sow the things that God's word calls me to sow so that I can have that kind of harvest or inheritance. Because if I sow what the world tells me to sow, then I'm going to have an inheritance from the world. But the problem is, that's not an inheritance that comes down from above. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. Say, Father. You're going to see that in a few minutes. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? Psalms 119 and 130, listen to what the psalmist said. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Now let me go back to that definition I read to you for the word there, right? An immature Christian, babe, infant, little child, a minor, not of age, childish, untaught, unskilled. Here it comes, simple Minded. Let me read that from the psalmist again. The entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. All of us can be immature. You know, Angie's not here this morning. She may be watching online. If you are, I love you, babe. But oh my goodness, has Angie seen me simple-minded in our life, even at this age. At 51 years old, have you ever been tired and you just, you know, you're just simple-minded, you know, you don't apply wisdom you know, you get tired, and it's kind of like one of those things. And, you know, Angie's worked all day, too, and, and I've worked. And, 
And, and then I say to her, you know, after working all day, so what are you going to make for dinner? If we both worked all day, right, why is it what is she going to make for dinner, right? <laughs> if we both put it in the same amount of hours, you know, and I'm like, so what are you making for dinner? <laughs> hey, I need some laundry done. Come on, men in the house, talk to me here. Or the ladies, will you talk to me, ladies, on that one? <laughs> but that's simple-minded. It's immature. That's a practical thing, but are you getting what I'm saying? God has such an inheritance for you. Don't settle to be a slave in his house when he's called you to be a son and daughter. Mature so that you can experience that inheritance. Amen? Number three, piadion. Say piadion. A young child, little boy or girl, children, little ones, more advanced child, a mature child, childlike intellect. Here comes a good one too with Matthew 18, 4 through 5. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. That's where that, that word, piadion, is, is used in that passage of scripture. That it's actually, it's like when I, you know, raising my kids, following the Lord, I always wanted them to follow the Lord at an early age. That was my number one prayer. Father, I pray that my children would choose to follow you at an early age. But you know, when they're rolling in at six years old, I'm thinking, yeah, I don't know if they're piety on. They might just be a babe. But here's the thing. I would say, well, explain to me what, what it means to you to be baptized or what it means to you to follow Jesus. Well, you know, like when I lied um, about, you know, taking cookies out of the pantry, that, that was a sin to lie. And, and so Jesus forgives me those sins and, and washes my sins away. So they've heard the Bible stories and they've been taught the word of God, but are able to, you know, connect where his provision for their sin, right, to wash that sin away. And so letting them explain it to me because I'm like, I want them to understand what they're doing. Any of you other parents, like, you know, I just want them to understand. I don't want them to just get baptized because they saw people doing it. Amen? And so that, that interaction that you have with your child, but the, that moment, and many of you parents already know that, that moment when your child can explain that personal relationship with Jesus, starting that relationship with Jesus, spiritually deciding at a young age to follow Christ, now, you know they're going to have an interesting road of discipleship because they're going to face all those temptations that are youthful temptations. Come on. And, and so that's another thing we weigh, like, oh, man, you know, but they, uh, you know, I don't want them to, like, get down the road. That happened for me at 12 years old. It's like I get baptized in water. I'm not going to go to hell and all my flesh burn off and be a little skeleton dancing in hell, as my grandpa told me. And I'm like, all I got to do is get baptized? Yep. I'm like, I'll get baptized, man. But I didn't have that personal relationship. I didn't understand the love of God. And therefore, I, you know, I went my own way. And, and we all do, by the way. You lead your kids to the Lord at a young age and they profess Christ. It doesn't mean they're not going to have to work out that salvation under God with fear and trembling themselves. Amen. You know, when my teenage kids started sinning after they had given their heart to the Lord. And, oh boy, I hope they're not watching. Um, you know, I'd, I'd go back and forth with God, like, man, God, you know, we've raised them right. We've taught them. We've da-da-da. And God's like, Derek, which part of all falls short of my glory and sin do you not understand? And how many of you have it together even now at your age? 
All of us are working on it, amen? And we need Jesus every day. So we got to decide every day. We got to choose every day to receive God's provision. If you can if you can reflect on this, can you go back to that roadmap? If you can reflect on this, that the first one, brephos, right? Inside and outside the womb, that has to happen for you to decide spiritually because it's not you that saved yourself. It's God that saved you, and you become aware of that, and you decide spiritually, I'm going to follow Christ. The Christ follower is when you, you're a babe. Like I said, that word, uh, napios. And then you start to move to become a dedicated disciple. Piedeon's the provision. God's providing for you his provision through scripture and relationship with him through his spirit to grow in maturity. Watch this in Matthew 19, 14. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Let the little children, Piedeon, come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of heaven. They're the great... We can come in here and we talk about the word and we can watch the greatest preachers that are out there. But you want to get a real true picture of what the kingdom of heaven looks like, go serve in the children's ministry. Maybe I didn't say that loud enough. Go serve in the children's ministry. Go back here and hang out with some kids where they're being taught about Jesus or you're teaching them about Jesus. And they're going to say some of the most amazing, authentic, pure things about Jesus. Now, I know that they're not going to be eloquent, but I'm saying pure, genuine. Because let me, <laughs> I've sat with people that are really knowledgeable of the Bible, and I've sat with children, and there are times I'd rather sit with children and talk about Jesus. Because, oh my goodness, let somebody study for a little while, and they're all scholars, and they want to just sit around and debate. And I say that's the problem in church in America in a big way is that we do too much debating and not enough documenting. We need to go back and read the book of Acts again and find out what it is to go out and change the world, to turn the known world upside down for proclaiming the gospel. Understand, according to the word and being in truth, I'm not saying to deviate from that, to deviate from study, but I'm saying you got to keep it simple. Paul the Apostle said that, 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 that I'm concerned, lest you know, that, that those that would enter in and corrupt among you the simplicity of the gospel... That, that, well, if you do this and you do this and you got to do this and you got to do that, then you can be saved. Look, it's not a mix of your works and faith in the sense of salvation. But once you've been saved, James talks about, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith with works. Come on. That, that our faith in Christ and his work is what saves us and only that. But after we've been saved, we mature and we grow and our actions begin to look like Jesus. So I encourage you, talk about Jesus with kids. Find out what is pure, if you will, about the kingdom of heaven. Don't forbid them. Don't hold them back. Don't, don't have a mindset, well, they don't really get it. Ask them questions and see if they do. And you'll be shocked sometimes where you're like, I think they might get it better than me now. Hmm. 1 John 2.13 says, I write to you, little children. I write to you, Piedeon, because you have known the Father. I write to you because you have known the Father. That, that, that again, I'm not talking just kids, obviously, is that we all come to Christ and we have that childlike faith and all of a sudden we're starting to grow, but we're Piedeon in our relationship. And that's the point where we know the Father. I know him as child. 
I've been adopted in the, into the family of God. And I can actually, by the seal of the Holy Spirit in me, cry out to him, Abba, Father. Somebody say, Abba, Daddy. I can actually talk to God and say, man, Daddy. Right? It's like, that's disrespectful. Well, the Bible says it. God says it about himself. So when we get that personal with God, that, you know, because my kids growing up, do you know how often they walk in? Father. Father. Not very often. If they introduce me, it's like, this is my father. <laughs> but they go, Daddy. Matter of fact, that's one of my favorite things uh, when I look back on their childhood. Danielle, my oldest, when she was real little, had this way of saying that she would, I would do something, it would tickle her, you know, meaning, you know, make her kind of laugh or whatever, or it would touch her, you know, my love for her, my, what I express, and she would just roll out one of these, oh, daddy, and I'm like, uh, and just melt because of her affection for her father. And I got to say that I believe the heart of God melts every time you come to a place of expressing to him like a child. Pideon, mature enough to understand, not arrogant. You know, think about uh, even Job <laughs> was a righteous man. He loses all his stuff and his children, and, and he gets to this place of debating with God. You ever read Job? Well, God, you know, I wish I was never born, and <laughs> he goes back and forth, and there's this moment where God just kind of lays out for him, where were you when I gave the zebra its stripes? And where were you when I measured the universe by the span of my hand? And Job, where were you? And I placed my hand over my mouth is what Job says. Job came back to that humble state of trusting God like a child does their parent. And the Bible says that God restored to him even more than he had before. We got to be those kind of little children, the piedion that We've known the Father since the beginning of our faith, or we wouldn't be in the faith. No man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him, and no man can go to the Father unless they come through the Son, is what the Bible teaches us. When we understand that order of things, it's all about, it's always been about God getting his family back. You ever lost someone in your family? Anybody got a prodigal? You ever had prodigals in your extended family? And feel like, man, if they could just understand the father's love for them. Because if you go read the story of the prodigal son, what you see is the father's heart toward that lost son. And you also see his heart towards the older son, amen? Or, yeah, he's the older, but he was still a son. Luke 1.80. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Hmm. to understand this and even like we take Jesus where, where he's in the temple and he's confounding the Pharisees and Sadducees right he's 12 years old it's bar mitzvah he's actually passing out of Piedion into the next level which, which we'll see in a second but, but he's passing out of Piedion and into bar mitzvah is actually starting to enter adulthood and so he's still that young child but here's the thing the child grew this is a prophecy from the Old Testament about the Messiah and here's what happens is, is you've got, he grew, right? And ultimately, you've got to understand not just stature, but he grows. As the New Testament tells us, that Jesus is 12 in the temple. 
And what you see is it says, and the child went home with his mom and dad. If you don't know that story, go back and read it. Jesus is the longest grounded child on record. The Bible shows it. Because at 12 years old, he's in the temple confounding Pharisees and Sadducees. His parents were heading home. This was time of Passover. If you remember, they're going over home after the Passover. And they get cruising along. And Mary's kind of like, Joseph, did you get Jesus? I thought you got Jesus. They were parents too. If you've ever forgotten your child, take comfort. Joseph and Mary forgot God. Hmm. And how do I know he was grounded for a long time? Because they get to the temple like, where have you been? It's, did you not know I'd be about my father's business? <laughs> Getting the cart right now. We're going home. <laughs> no, it doesn't say that. So somebody, all pastors add into the scripture. God will add the plagues to him. No. But you didn't see Jesus till he was 30. That's all I know. <laughs> Young people, moral of the story, listen to your parents. Here's what we know, that Jesus learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus submitted to earthly parents, although he was all God, and probably was, you know, could you imagine raising God? You parents think you've got it rough, man. Could you imagine? Well, he probably was a really good kid. Yeah, but man, you know what I'm saying? He's down there, you know, he's eating his soup, he's parting like the Red Sea, and other kids are like, why can't I do what Jesus does? You know, anyway. I'm saying take comfort in the stories that the Bible teaches about parenting Mary and Joseph had a commission had a responsibility to raise Jesus and they did that and they did it well God's entrusted you with your children raise them well understand that if you don't mature spiritually then you won't be able to lead I don't believe you can lead them well physically or spiritually if you don't grow in these things amen so the next word then is technon. Technon. I got to move along here. Technon. Offspring, children, affectionate address, such as patrons, helpers, like employee. Young people look up here. That means you do chores at home. <laughs> Those souls who have, as it, it uh, were, been nurtured and molded by wisdom. Remember Jesus at 12, technon. The, the Pharisees, and where did this young man get this wisdom? He had been molded in wisdom. He had been molded in the scripture. He had been raised by his mother and father who were devote and love God and follow God. And as a result, he's in the temple and confounding scholars. And they're asking that very question, where did he get this wisdom from? Luke eleven thirteen says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, children right there, technon, will you, your heavenly father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, I want to say you have no hope of maturing unless from the father you receive the Holy Spirit. You cannot mature yourself. You need the spirit of God. Now, watch, I'm teaching you. But you have no need of me to teach you. Hopefully what I'm teaching you right now from the scriptures, the Holy Spirit will inspire you to pursue him and God through the scripture. And what happens is, is he will begin to be your teacher. Because it says you have no need of another man to teach you. Because the Holy Spirit will teach you. Now to grow to a place of maturity to where you actually 
will, will call out for God, fill me with your spirit, guide me by your spirit, lead me by your spirit according to your word. Well, how, how's that going to connect? You got to be in the word. Now to understand, um, you know, to understand Jesus, you know, the Torah is what they knew. And they, those little Jewish boys by 12 years old could quote the Torah. You know what the Torah is? Right? The law. I could quote the six, first six books of the Bible. They roll up in there and just start saying the word. I mean, just quoting it one after the other. Jesus had the word in him because, you know, they talk about, you know, time on, uh, uh, on your forehead, right? Do you know what that, they had this little thing they wore and it actually had the scripture, right? You ever seen one of those things? Give me an amen if you've ever seen that. They literally had it right in front of them, I mean, basically on their, tied to their head and reading scripture all the time. Being raised up in the word of God. Matthew 21, 28. But what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. There's that uh, helpers, patrons like employ, right? And he tells his sons, technon sons, go and work in my field. Now, if you remember, one of them said, Oh, I'll go, and then doesn't go, and then the other says, I don't want to go. Doggone, I don't want to work. And then what he does is he gets up and goes and works. Do you remember which son was considered the evil son? The one that said he would go and did not go. Not the one that, you know, kicked the rocks and, oh, I'll go do it, right? We need, to, we need to understand that God wants us to be in service. Now, think about popping that in there on that, on that journey again. I won't make you go back to that, but you... If you put these right before that next step to be the servant volunteer, but then you're the servant leader, you know, if, if you start to actually do the things of God and, and serve the kingdom of God, what you'll find is all of heaven will back you. The power of the Holy Spirit will be with you, and you will see fruit in the labors that you engage for the kingdom of God. Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Can you believe that is at that point? You know why I believe that? Because when my kids were, they were little, and they pretty much did what I told them to do. But wouldn't you know it, when they got in that tweener age, like this group in there that we disciple and try to help you parents out, um, when they get to that age, man, all of a sudden they start questioning everything. Can I get an amen on that, parents? Right? All of a sudden, they want to question everything because they're coming of age, and, and those chemicals wash over their little brains, and the hormones, right? And it starts to change them to start to develop some independence, and, you know, it, this, these are the moments when the conversations like, I brought you into this world and I'll. <laughs> That's where those conversations happen between parents and their children. Because rebellion. So, so it's kind of like they can come to that place of where they're, they're the, uh, an evil son or a righteous, uh, an evil son or daughter or a righteous son and daughter in obeying their parents and honoring their parents. Young people, give me an Amen. Number five, huios, the huios child, son or daughter, a descendant, one of posterity uh, of, of, of anyone, i.e. the children of Israel, sons of Abraham, used to describe one who depends on another or is his follower a pupil. Those whose character, whose character God, hold on, <laughs> I hate using these, but uh, um, those whose character, who, who revere God as their father, did I mess that up? Character God 
as a loving father, shapes by chastisements, that's discipline, those who revere God as their father, devoted worshipers of God, those who in character and life resemble God, those are, uh, governed, who are governed by the spirit of God, exhibit the same calm and joyful trust in God which uh, children do in their parents. That there's that, that level of trust that's developed in God just like children. That's faith, saints. That is faith. Galatians 3.26 says this, for you are, you, are all, you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. All of your, there's no other way that you can come to that. And let me say this, that there's a point where your faith grows to full maturity to where what happens is, is you know that it, you, you do the works, but my works, they don't earn me anything with God. This is all grace, will always be grace, and will never be any different than that. And, and I'm telling you, it, it, it's so easy to fall prey that once you've been born again, once you've been saved, so, so easy to begin to fall back to think that your works are doing something with regard to your relationship with God. It's not. It's all about your interaction. Interaction. The works are a manifestation of that relationship. Always keep that right. Romans 8. 14 says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. There we are again with coming to that place of maturity to where I'm not led by the flesh, which we kind of started off the whole be the church, right? That we set up those guards, that we're, we're witnesses, we set up the guards in our life, we're fruitful. All those things that are happening are the result of recognizing that we're the children of God and we're led by the Spirit. Amen. Hebrews 12, 5. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. Hmm. If I've had, I would say, one major conversation consistently through the years that I've pastored, it's been when people fall short or they mess up in their walk with God, that they don't feel like God has made a way for them to continue to pursue him. Instead, they'll turn and kind of, I'm not worthy. You never were. You never were, and God knew and gave his son so that you could see you're worthy through his son's work and keep pursuing him even when you fall short because as you keep pursuing him, guess what he does? He continues to transform and change you by the power of his spirit and by his word. To be more like his son. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't lay down. Don't walk away. Keep chasing after God. <clears throat> the next one. Uh, number six. Telios. Telios. Brought to its end. Finished. Wanting nothing necessary to completeness. Perfect. And which is perfect. Uh, consum to uh, consummate human integrity and virtue of men full-grown adult of full age and mature. Hebrews 5.14 in the Amplified Version says this, but solid food is for the spiritually mature whose senses are trained by practice to distinguish between what is morally good and what is evil. It's not, uh, you distinguish the difference and you don't look at it as, well, they're good and, and, and they're bad. 
but rather what you see is you see the difference between them and you turn to God and you ask God to keep you focused on the tree of life. Come on now. I talked about that last week. That if you get stuck in this place where I'm doing good, I'm doing bad. So if I'm doing bad, I'm not worthy of God. If I'm doing good, I am worthy of God. Are you all with me on that? No, I'm worthy because of what Christ did for me. And I can distinguish between the two and I can say, Christ, help me to be like you in the midst of the temptation of the two. The temptation to be all right, the older son, and the temptation to want to just go and live my life in a prodigal way like the younger son. And the next word we're going to learn is about the father, and that will shed a little more light on that. But the next scripture, 1 Corinthians 14, 20, uh, the Amplified Bible. Brothers and sisters, do not be children, immature, childlike in your thinking. Be infants in matters of evil, completely innocent and inexperienced. But in your minds, be mature adults. That's renew your mind in the word. Colossians 1.28, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's teleos, fully mature, the fully mature son or daughter. And number seven, and this is our last one. When you think about the one I did, teleos, that's where we become disciple makers, fully mature so that we can teach others how to follow Christ, mature in doctrine. But then there comes making sure we have the right heart in the midst of all of that. And that's to have the heart of a father, the heart of a, a spiritual mom or a spiritual dad. Peter is a word. Say Peter. One advanced in years, a senior, the originator and transmitter of anything, the author's of a family or society of persons uh, animated by the same spirit as him or herself. One who has infused his own spirit into others. That's that impartation. Paul said, I long to be with you that I might impart some spiritual gift that to the end you may be established. Who uh, uh, actuates and governs their minds. One who stands in a father, mother, parent's place and looks after another in a paternal way. A little, oh, excuse me, a title of honor of Christians as those through Christ have been exalted to the specifically close and intimate relationship with God. You know the difference when somebody has a close relationship with God. I know about him or I know him. It really is that simple. Do I know about him or do I know him? Because I can know about him and not know him. Jesus said, uh, when we stand in judgment, there's a point where we come before him and we'll give an account for our works. In other words, if, if I've spiritually decided in a Christ follower and a dedicated disciple and a servant volunteer, a servant leader, and I've come to the place of making disciples, I'm going to stand before the Lord and what's going to happen is, is it's going to be either I'm defending myself or I'm accepting his reward. There's a place where those that argue with him, even in heaven at the judgment seat of Christ, people are going to argue with Jesus. Come on now. Say, that's stupid. We'll just keep it simple for all of us in a kiss method, right? Keep it simple, stupid. You know, if you, if you think your gifts that he gave you are something you can give back to him, just so you know, that it's not, that's, not, uh, the, the, uh, that's not offering him anything because it was a gift to you that you used so that you can have fruit, amen? 
you offer him the fruit of the spirit. You offer him the fruits of, of your labor. Um, you know, that's souls saved, disciples made, lives changed by using those gifts. Because in that day, they'll say, but didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we, we, we heal the sick and we cast out demons? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. So do you know about him or do you know him? See, coming to that place of being spiritually mature to be a spiritual mom and dad is to be concerned for the growth and the nurture of others in the things of God. Listen to John 8, 39. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. And what was those works? All his works were tied to faith. Luke eleven thirteen says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit again to those who ask? So the first time we read that, it had to do with the fact that your children and the father will give you the Holy Spirit. But right here, what we have is the father, Peter, it will give you the Holy Spirit. And God is so much better than we are as parents. Can you say Amen. He will give you the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 4.15. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. You can have teachers and trainers, instructors, professors. You can have all of those things. But my question to you, do you have a spiritual mom and dad in your life? Are there people that will pour their life out for you to be the best that you can possibly be? And by the way, will they get in the way? Did you catch that? Will they get in your way? Because let me say that you're not under unless somebody can say no. There's a story that Larry Kreider tells in one of his books called Spiritual Fathering. And it's about uh, elephants in, the, in Kruger National Park and how that they tried to reintroduce because the, the uh, uh, poachers, they come in and he killed all the elephants off. So they reintroduce um, elephants into Kruger National Park in, in South Africa. And when they do that, they bring in these young elephants and they release them. Well, the elephants go on a rampage and they just, they're destroying villages and killing people and, and killing everything in their path. And so they got to a point, they were like, we're just going to have to put them all down. You know, we, we, we invested so much money and we've done this, it's just we don't know what else to do, but we can't let them continue to rampage. And then someone on the council said, well, why don't we Go to one of the old tribal chiefs, one of the elders, and one of the tribes that has been around for a long time and ask them what they think. So they did that. They basically went to somebody who was a father of the land, if you will, and asked, do you know what we should do? And he said, well, the problem is you have no papa elephants. You have no daddies. You have no fathers among those elephants. So they go and they get some older elephants and they put them into the tribe. And do you know every time those young elephants went to go on a rampage? The old papa elephants would get, would get in the way and stop them. What does that have to do with? It has to do with, look, all we like sheep have gone our own way. We've gone astray. Come on. But God sent his son to get in our way, see. Not just to get in the way, to get in the way of the power of sin in our life. To get in the way of those things that really try to dominate and destroy God's work within us. He's the ultimate spiritual father. Can you say amen to that? In 2 Kings, well, let me give you this one here. Um, 
2 Kings 2.12. This is our last scripture, and I have a few more things to share. 2 Kings 2.12. This is about Elijah and Elisha. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, Peter, Peter, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them into pieces. If you don't know the story of Elijah and Elisha, Elijah was a spiritual father to Elisha. And, and he's following him around, and they go to Gilgal, to Bethel, to Jericho, and the Jordan. Each time they went to one of these places, the school of the prophets, if you will, the sons of the prophets, they called them. It's like the church. We're the, Jesus is the prophet, and we're his sons and daughters, right? And so, so what happens is each place they go, Elijah would say to Elijah, stay here. I'm going to go on. And Elisha goes, nope, wherever you go, I'm going. You go to the next place. Stay here, I'm going to go on. Nope, wherever you go, I'm going. Stay here, I'm going to cross the Jordan. Nope, wherever you go, I'm going. They get to the edge of the Jordan, and Elijah turns to Elisha and goes, what do you want from me? And Elisha says, I want a double portion of the anointing, of the spirit that is upon your life. I don't want your stuff. I want the anointing. I don't want the... I don't want the, that ministry, I don't want that school, I don't, you know, the business, whatever in your life. I don't want the stuff, I want the anointing. I want what only a father can give, and I'm going to stay by the father until I get it. Come on now. And I, and I want to submit to you that while we're spiritual moms and dads and should be, I want to say that any spiritual mom and dad, true spiritual mom and dad, is always going to help you understand how to connect to the father, because he is your father. And he's the only place that you're going to receive everything that you need in life. You can't receive it from another human being. So let me close with these statements. If you want to reach, if, if we want to reach our full potential, you must decide to accept God's full provision for growth. Christian maturity is a process that involves God and the individual in exchange. It's a great exchange. When we make the decision, we make exchange, or excuse me, we exchange our death for eternal life. We exchange our way for his. We exchange our propensity towards disobedience for discipline. If you don't understand what's going on with that right now, you just go back to the map, and what you're going to see is every one of those decisions are right here. We're making exchange every time we make that decision. We exchange our selfishness for selfless service. We exchange our, our, uh, our lead me only mindset to a lead me and them. We exchange our priorities to promote multiplication. In other words, it's not our priorities, it's heavenly priorities. Paul the Apostle said to King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And at the end of his testimony, even King Agrippa, he said, you almost persuade me, Paul. That if we will grab a hold of heavenly priorities, we'll change the world around us. We exchange our immaturity and become fully mature spiritual moms and dads. We become pater. We become like the father finally. Knowing how to love on a prodigal son, a lost son or daughter. And knowing how to love on an older son or daughter. You know, Knowing how to love on the self-righteous who eat from the tree of the knowledge of good. And then the, the son or daughter that eat from the tree of the knowledge of evil. Somehow we stay in that tree of life and we pour life in all directions because that's what the Father does.
So I'll ask you these questions as I close. Are you on the road to Christian maturity? Are you spiritually decided? Are you a Christ follower? Are you a dedicated disciple? Are you a servant volunteer? Are you a servant leader? And are you a disciple maker? Evaluate those places in your life and respond accordingly and decide. If you're, if you're at step four, then take step five. If you're at step two, take step three. If you're at step uh, five, take step six. Because I'm going to tell you, the church, this country, around the world, needs spiritual moms and dads. Because the elephants are on the rampage. We're a post-Christian society, and the only way to turn it around is to have people who come to full maturity so that they can help others themselves come to full maturity. Amen? And remember this. God's provision to grow is available through his grace every day. I encourage you to make a decision to grow every day. Stand your feet with me if you would. I, I will both apologize and say thank you for the extra time for these past two weeks. This is a, a large process to unpack for our church. but an important one and you need to hear it in its entirety so I'm going to ask you to close your eyes right now and I'm going to ask you to reflect on where are you where are you on your road where are you in that journey where are the places that you feel like God is provoking you pushing on you like hey take that step and I want to pray for you picture it in your mind and heart let me pray for you. Father, wherever we are on our journey, I pray that, Father, we'd be dedicated to grow, to mature in Christ. God, we don't only need it. This world needs Christ to be reflected as he is. I believe, God, that if we'll do this, that you'll show up by your spirit that, God, your word will come alive to each and every one of us. And that, Lord, when we're sharing with our friends and our family, the people we come into contact with, Father, life, the tree of life, Lord, God will give its fruit. And other people will be drawn to eat from that tree. Father, help us to discern. Help us to know, God, when we're stepping over in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's not just about being right. It's not just about knowing God. It's about being. As Jesus prayed for the Holy Spirit to come and, and make your dwelling in us, your abode, your, your home, that's a being, that you will be with us, that you said we will be with you and in you. And so God, let us be. Let us just rest, Lord God, in your presence. Let us, God, take rest, Lord God, and refuge in your word. And God, may your spirit empower us so that we can go out and, Lord, fulfill the great commission and be witnesses of all that we've seen, Lord God, in your word and in our own lives, our testimony, us as living epistles of your word being written on our minds and in our hearts. So that when others read our life, what they're seeing is an invitation to come to you. When others read our life, they're receiving a challenge to live like you. I love your people, God. 
And I pray for them in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ that their Christian life will be better each and every day that they walk it out, God, and work it out in Jesus' name. I bless them, Lord, as they go today. And I pray, Father, that we would meditate on that challenge, not just to be hearers of the word, but to go and be doers of the word as well. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone, amen. amen. Hey, God bless you. Enjoy your week.